0: If you're looking for homeschool sanity, welcome. I'm Dr. Melanie Wilson, Christian psychologist turned homeschool mom and curriculum author. But I was once so disorganized, I thought I had to quit homeschooling and stop having kids. Now, by the grace of God, I have six homeschool graduates. Whether we're discussing parenting, productivity, or practical tips, pray that this episode is just what you need for happy, healthy homeschooling. Hey, homeschoolers. As parents, we often feel ill-equipped to talk to others who are grieving. I've discussed this in a previous episode that I will link in the show notes. When our teens are grieving, we can feel particularly helpless in knowing what to say or do. I'm thankful that my guest, Sarah Arthur, has practical advice for us. Sarah Arthur is a fun-loving speaker and the author of a dozen books for teens and adults, including Once a Queen and the best-selling Walking with Frodo, a devotional journey through the Lord of the Rings. Among other nerdy adventures, she has served as preliminary fiction judge for Christianity Today's Book Awards was a founding board member of the annual C.S. Lewis Festival in Northern Michigan and co-directs the Madeline L'Engle Writing Retreats. Here's my chat with Sarah. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me here on the Homeschool Sanity Show. I am excited to jump into our topic today, but before we do that, I would love to have you introduce yourself and your family to us.
1: It is so fun to be on here with you. Thank you so, so much, Melanie. Um, Yeah, my name is Sarah Arthur, and my husband, Tom, and I live in Lansing, Michigan with our two boys. I have a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old. And yeah,
0: so we are in ministry here in the capital city of Michigan. Fantastic. And you are a writer, and you have been involved in youth ministry for a long time, too, you told me.
1: Yes, yeah. So yeah, right after college, um, I had double majored in both English and Christian education at Wheaton College. And so I had uh, ended up in northern Michigan working at a large church as the youth director. Um, But I had been an English major, so I really didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) I had to learn like how to raise my voice and, um, you know, Mm -hmm. coordinate things like paintball, which I knew nothing about. Um, But, you know, 25-ish years later after, you know, I was full-time and now I've just done volunteer youth work for years um, and actually lately have been a middle school substitute teacher in the public school district here. (laughs) And um, so teens are my thing, especially kids in that liminal space between childhood and adulthood, that 13, 14, 15, where they're beginning to make the turn. Um, and that's
0: who I write for. Mm-hmm. Well, bless you for doing that. I mean, it—it it is um, such a need that we have, that we have people who love on kids in mm-hmm. that phase mm-hmm. of their lives. Um, it They will, I think, remember what you poured into them
1: um, mm-hmm. for
0: years and years, I certainly do remember the people who were involved in my life. So I just really appreciate mm-hmm. that. And I have five boys, so okay. I, I get it. <laughs> Mine
1: are I, all grown, but yeah, when we're done, you can just, you know, give me a little talk about <laughs> so disorienting, up. like to be like, okay, I hear the shower running and I didn't have to tell him to do that. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> instinctively knows that this is what must be done now in seventh
0: grade. <laughs> yes, I remember those days. I had um my daughter who was really the shower police for my youngest son. She <laughs> would say, How long has it been?
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Getting mm-hmm. there. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, I can usually tell um just by smell. <laughs> <laughs> with the 10-year-old. They would die if they knew I was having this conversation, though. Yeah. Right, so well, moving on. Don't share it with <laughs> me.
0: Okay. So today we're going to talk about teens and processing grief and loss mm-hmm. and how they can do that. We have some um, some different ideas about how they can do that. And I am interested, before we jump into that, about how you became interested in that topic in the first place.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because the first books I wrote, believe it or not, my first book came out 20 years ago. Um, It was Walking with Frodo, A Devotional Journey Through the Lord of the Rings. And I wrote it for the teens that I'd just been working with in youth ministry, Um, in part, and partly because I'm just, I'm an English major nerd. And so it blended my love of youth ministry and literature, really. Um, and what I loved about The Lord of the Rings was the way that um, as a fantasy story, Tolkien, who was a Christian, would still plumb the depths of um, the, the the joy and sorrow that both go hand in hand in our journey. Um, almost like giving the readers and watchers permission um to not just be caught up in the adventure of it, but to also plumb the depths of what is it that you really long for in this world? Um and and how do we make that journey, recognizing that by the end of it, we will be wounded. It's part of being human. Um, and the the character of Frodo in the Lord of the Rings at the end, he never he gets home which shouldn't be a spoiler. I mean, the book's been out forever, so hopefully people have read it. Um, He gets home, but he's not the same. And he bears in his body wounds that will never heal um, in this life. So I felt that was really, it was obviously great to talk with teens about the story um, and the fun of it and all the characters. But what was really interesting to me was that honoring of the reader's humanity um, and dignity as a complex uh, person whose story you, what we experience in our life might not always um have like it'll have an ending that was worthwhile, but might not always be um perfect, you know, like we're we sometimes uh Tolkien was inspired by the the Nordish idea of the long defeat, right that we are. We are caught up in a story that you know Jesus went to the cross first before the beautiful things happened. Um, so that's really how I got started. And some of it was me listening to teenagers. Um, you know, I would do small groups and we would read books together and read the Bible together. But I also would ask them two questions, and lots of families do this, but it's a very ancient Christian tradition um, to consider where did you find joy today. Or this week, where did God show up in ways that you recognized as wonderful? Um, And where did you feel sorrow or brokenness or pain this week? Recognizing that God is there in those moments too. Um, So, you know, I would keep it simple. What made you happy this week? What made you sad? Um, And as I heard the students talking, a lot of times they would say, well, my happy was that I, you know, I made it on the debate team. Um, But my real happy is that I got to see my dad. I miss my dad, you know, or um, my sad was that I got cut from, you know, first, you know, the I'm only on the bench for basketball. But my real sad is that my mom and I had a big fight. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: so I began to lock into the fact that, yes, they have these sort of superficial happies and sads, but the really high highs and low lows were family-related. That was the stuff where their hearts were really hurting.
0: That was very good, and I I love Mm. those questions. We've asked versions of those questions in our Mm -hmm. family Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. on a daily basis, but I I really like... I I like weekly, too. I I think Mm -hmm. maybe Mm -hmm. it gives us a little bit more perspective, especially when it comes to um, maybe the deeper issues. Kind of gives us a little bit more distance so that we can realize, okay, something is still having an impact on me that I maybe didn't recognize in the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. That is an excellent practice for families, I think, just to practice good mental health.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and we would support. do this with our boys um, when they were small, you know, happy mm-hmm. and sad, or those are emotions they recognize. Um, and we still do that with them now. So, mm-hmm. you know, as daily as we can. <laughs>
0: right, right, right. Yeah, yeah there's
1: right. no rule. <laughs> no, no, right. but it's a it's a really ancient Christian practice. I mean, if you have any Catholic listeners, they will recognize this as what's known as the Ignatian Examine. Um, hmm. St. Ignatius, um, when he was training his um, community of Christian believers, you know, had them really probe the depths of of their emotional life um, hundreds of years ago, which is super insightful because it predates, you know, modern psychology and, and understandings of, um, you know, validating emotions, but recognizing that God's not offended if we're sad or grieving. Um, and of course, the book of Psalms is full of lament. It has almost more lament psalms than praise psalms. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this is is a part of what God's people have been doing for a long, long time.
0: Mm -hmm. Such a good point, too. And the idea that we don't shy away from sadness and Mm -hmm. think that as Christians, we always have to put on a happy face when it's not um, authentic
1: This is an
0: excellent practice for sound mental health that will serve Mm -hmm. our kids very, very well in the future. So I I love that we're giving that very practical tip uh, for homeschooling moms too. Mm -hmm. I read your story, Sarah, as part of your book, and I was wondering if you could tell us about that, uh, Mm -hmm. specifically Mm -hmm. about... What you learned about generational grief and how there are losses and sadnesses that can be passed down in a way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so. Yeah. Once a Queen is my debut novel. And it was my first time um, not doing just like really overt theological work in what I write. I'm not just being like, here's what somebody has written in fiction and let's talk about it. Now it's my chance to like <laughs> give this fiction thing a try. And it was such a beautiful opportunity um, to do that that sort of Holy Spirit work where we're sneaking in the back door of the imagination instead of coming through the front door of reason and rationality. Um, Because I really believe that's the gift of fiction is the opportunity to um, to experience something when your resistance is kind of down, like you're you're really much more open to to stepping inside of a story um, than you are um, being confronted with like principles or ideas that you have to accept or reject. Um, And of course, teenagers are very good at that, um, uh, telling you exactly what they accept or reject. Um, Whereas with the imagination, it's a whole different journey. Um, So when I was a child um, at age 14, um, you know some of this, but you don't don't know all of it. So I'll give a little more background um, because in the author Q&A in the back of Once a Queen, there is some more detail about things for me. Um, I, I witnessed two family losses. The first, um, was my uncle who had had leukemia. He had been in remission for years. Um, but when he came out of remission, um, he went home to his childhood home, which was my grandparents' home that I had also lived in with my family when I was little. And he went home to die. So instead of dying in a hospital, you know, surrounded by monitors and and uh, strangers taking care of him, he chose to be at my grandparents' house. Um, he was on oxygen, uh, but when he went into a coma, you know, we all got the call. It's time to time to come to Grandma and Grandpa's house, and I am telling you, Melanie. When I walked in, so my grandparents were born in 1911 and 1913. And so this was not new to them. That generation experienced births and deaths at home primarily. And so they were used to this and they knew how somehow to do this in a way that was beautiful and dignifying and loving and warm. And I did not know in experiencing a good death. Uh, that that was odd, um, that that's really unusual in our culture. Um, we so often hear about and experience really tough deaths, like where people are kept alive for a long time and like everybody's dragged through a, a long process um, and the stresses of that. So watching these adults navigate it so beautifully really stuck with me for a long, long time. Now contrast that with, uh, the death of my grandmother on my mother's side that same year, this was a woman who, um, had been, had experienced so much trauma in her life. Um, again, I believe she was born in 1913 and, you know, lost her father in the flu epidemic. It was never talked about. Um, had multiple very difficult step parents. That was also very, very um, unaddressed, and the pain and and trauma from some of that. Um, she was suicidal when I was a teenager. That's not how it was articulated to me, um, but she had become an alcoholic and went into rehab, and um, and so we would visit her, you know, where she was getting care. And when she eventually got cancer, um, she lived with us briefly, and she was in this state of of deep uh, brokenness through that whole thing. Um, she was not in her right mind a lot from pain or whatever medications. Um, I watched my mother navigate that so lovingly and beautifully. Um, But it was really painful to see how unaddressed trauma locks a person into so much unprocessed stuff, Um, that woundedness and her rejection of faith. um, You know, she never was like negative about that with me as a teenager. She was always wonderfully supportive, but um, it was scary to not be sure of that I would get to see her again, you know, like I just didn't know. Um, And thank God for my dad who said, um, at the end of the day, we're going to make mistakes in all of this theologically, but at the end of the day, we err on the side of grace. Mm -hmm. We err on the side of grace. We just love her through whatever, because we can't control the outcome. She's a human being and she is loved by God more than we could ever love her. And so once a queen, this is a, you know, probably a longer version than what you're expecting, but um, once a queen, my main character, Eva, um, meets her grandmother for the first time and experiences an adult who is very broken. And she begins to kind of take that on herself and think, I can save her <laughs> because I, I remember that feeling. If we can only do this one right thing, if we can only, you know, we can save her. But that job has already been taken. And I think it was it was important for me to to narrate a family story where a teenager is having to navigate that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, because teenagers are often very aware mm-hmm. of those unspoken mm-hmm. um what word do I want to use? Um just issues. How about just issues? Yeah. (laughs) But there are these unspoken issues that are really driving um, so much of the behavior in the family. And if there is really a taboo in your family about openly addressing them, Mm -hmm. it can cause a lot of upset and Mm -hmm. confusion for our kids. So I mean, I I just got done telling someone uh, who is a family friend who has been through a traumatic experience that we used to think that just burying trauma was the thing to do. Like, just don't talk about it, just move forward. And we know, especially from studying veterans, that that is the worst thing that we can do those individuals mm-hmm. who just pretend like everything is fine do the worst now mm-hmm. no one wants to you know just start the process of talking about trauma or grief yeah, um, right, right. it's hard it's it's mm-hmm. you want to avoid it no one wants to just sob and sob some people think if i start crying about this i'll never stop it, it's just yeah. going to go on forever. Yeah. I, I'm just not even yeah. going to be able to survive it. But mm-hmm. the truth is that you're going to be healthier and happier after you do it. And it's also not a one-time event, right? Yeah. It's not, it's not like, Oh, I, yeah. I just tell my story one time and then everything's great. It's mm-hmm. things are going to come back up and you're going to want to talk about it. And, and, I would just kind of interject one other thing. And so, if you're, if you're a young person, or really anyone that you know, has experienced grief or loss or trauma, and they've told you their story, and then somewhere down the road they're telling it to you again, don't get them to stop. <laughs> don't yeah. say, "Okay, yeah. we've covered it. We've got to move on." No, mm-hmm. this is the healing process and it comes in waves and it comes unexpectedly as we go mm-hmm. through out our lives. So, um, I, I just love that you're, you're bringing up this whole idea of, mm-hmm. um, we, you know, your, your grandmother is an example of someone who obviously did not have that opportunity to talk yeah, through yeah, everything that she had gone through. Uh, you know, and it's like I think maybe as Christians too, we get this this message that it's complaining, <laughs> it's yeah, not, or that
1: we're yeah. you know we're diminishing God's character or God's ability to to step in somehow. Right, um, but if that was the case, then then half the psalms wouldn't be there in the Bible. <laughs> so right? true. Like, like, where are you, God? Let's flex some muscles and show up and and come to our defense. What's going on? Your reputation's at stake. That's one of my right. favorite ones. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's like, don't you know what people are saying about mm-hmm. you, God? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but well, it's um,
0: great. Right. Right. That, that is I so good. good. I mean, God could have prevented those from being yeah. in Scripture. Yeah. And he oh, didn't. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, I and mean, Jesus, even like the, the
1: communities that wrote them could have been like, yeah, no. Um,
0: and even Jesus that
1: paraphrased that mm-hmm. scripture. Why had you me forsaken too? me, God? Yes. And he doesn't say, why does it feel like you've forsaken mm-hmm. me? Like he is just, na- he's just saying this mm-hmm. thing, which mm-hmm. I find really interesting. Um, yes. It because really it is. is, it's so... Um, uh, it's so it's so important for our young people to have those experiences validated um as places where God can show up and mm-hmm. does show up and is actually there ahead of us, right?
0: Mm-hmm. so
1: um that's you know, i I think about um, you know, as you were talking, I remember the the very same year I lost my uncle and my grandmother and watched these two very different ways of um, for them of of processing what their experiences my i also had my first breakup oh. <laughs> i was 14 and oh, it was boy. like new year's eve and it was so like the guy dumped me um and because i've been so kind of not sure of what was happening with my grandmother i had distanced myself a little bit because I realized it was like something happening that was way bigger than me and over my head. I wanted to save her and I couldn't. And that frightened me. Um, you know, I wanted to know where God was and why, you know, he's supposed to do. This is the part of the story where she like has a prayer of confession and and commits her life to Christ before she dies. But that's not how it worked. So I didn't understand the narrative I was in. Um, and so I didn't cry when she died. Um, which. My mom and dad were so patient with me. I didn't cry till New Year's Day. And we were driving up north to visit my other grandparents. And I just cried and cried and cried. And they were wise enough to know it wasn't because this idiot had dumped me. It was everything. It was everything. I was finally giving myself permission to feel what I needed to feel. So you're right. There's no timeline on that. Um, and I probably didn't want to talk about this guy. I didn't want to talk about my grandmother, but they just let me do what I needed to do. And I'm super grateful for that. And I'm really saying that's a pattern I've then carried into working with teens, you know, having my own kids, um, in part, um, the happy and sad stuff is one of those very simple practices to make it normal, to talk about how you feel. Um, before the big feelings actually happen, like you, or after mm-hmm. they happen, mm-hmm. like you're, it's harder to do it in the middle of it, right? Mm-hmm. But when you have that regular practice, um, then it's just built in to who you are as a family.
0: Mm-hmm. And it just occurred to me that um, I think we need to add in that when someone is sharing about a loss or a trauma. And they're sad and they're crying, that we don't have to do anything to fix mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And it really, I mean, we really feel that strong pull to want mm-hmm. to make someone feel better. You know, because when when our child falls down and scrapes their knee, I mean, we comfort and we say, Okay, let me make it better. Let me let's put yeah. a bandage on. Let's let's have right. some ice cream, you know, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. it's all good. Mm-hmm. But when it's something bigger than that the the thing to do is what job's friends did initially i was just going to mention job That's yes. So funny. yes yeah i think we're on the same wavelength mm-hmm. with a lot of this but um when i had a miscarriage my friend um mm-hmm. flew into town mm-hmm. and i just remember the one thing that she did that meant the most to me was she just put her hand on my shoulder. Mm-hmm. She was saying, I am here and it mm-hmm. is okay. You take your time to feel what you're going to feel, to process what you need to process. I'm mm-hmm. not going to slow you down. I'm not going to tell you, you know, stop crying. It's fine. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and that's really all we have to do is provide that that physical presence, right? Uh-huh. Listen. Um, if, if you need, if you need to give them a Kleenex, because it's just, it's just going mm-hmm. everywhere mm-hmm. and do that really like without making a big deal of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, put, put your hand on their shoulder, um, give them a hug if it feels right, but we don't have to interject and fix it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's so it's such a huge impulse to do that too because it's um, again. I mean, we're taught to kind of tidy things up and and there should be a, a conclusion here, um, but in those spaces we're we're beyond words, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, the yeah we were talking about Job. I mean, where his friends get in trouble is when they start to introduce words um, to his story, but first they come and sit with him for seven days. In silence, mm-hmm. and it is actually still a Jewish tradition to sit shiva, which is those six days of mm. um, sitting with somebody in their grief, mm. um, and and I love that tradition. And then when those days are over, they um, in some traditional Jewish communities they go they they bring the grieving person out for a walk around the block in the neighborhood, as if to say, here is the world, and mm-hmm. we are in it with you. And, and, you know, there isn't speechifying or anything. Um, and they get a lot of that from Job, right? Uh, mm-hmm. there? Oh, and I've actually done cool. stuff um, in teaching Job with teenagers where we talk about, well, we talk about, you know, what, what are some things that are helpful when, when people are grieving? What are things that are not helpful? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, yeah, it's, it's been really robust I bet. to take a look at those moments in scripture where. Um, there isn't a a solution, like there isn't a conclusion that matches our sort of hallmark movie um, vibes. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and those are lovely stories too, right? But it's uh, mm-hmm. the whole range of human emotion and experiences that I'm interested mm-hmm. in exploring with teenagers. Right. Um, so yeah. So my character Eva, in Once a Queen, um, recognizes the brokenness. Wishes she could save her grandmother from having to experience, you know, from, from all of it, like uh, wants to be part of the healing and um, it, you know, and not to give too many spoilers, but uh, there is a moment of just sitting and holding a hand. Right. And that's, um, I wanted to depict that to give teens a sense of, um, I, this is a book full of words. But that's not the only option. And sometimes that's not the only thing somebody needs,
0: yeah, so you have written a story about someone who has to go through that process of adjusting to loss um, and mm-hmm. um, you know, grief. Did writing your story help you um with grief and processing grief? And do you think, that writing is, and I already have an opinion, but
1: but do you think that writing
0: can help (laughs) teens do the same thing? Mm, Yeah. Well, I'm I'm not sure I set out to
1: write the story with that in mind. Um, I feel like those, those things just sort of came in as the story was unfolding, because this is who my characters turned out to be. Um, I really, and I think that my, my character, Eva, um, has these moments of, of recognizing, well, and I, and I had to kind of layer this in, right. Because it can be so overt that it's like blunt and not, and not, um, really helpful. Like it's just sort of like a prescription, like I'm writing a prescription, like this is what you need to do. Um, so I had to kind of tease this out and fold it in carefully, um, she is, is at, at some points uh, assuming it's her fault. And I think a lot of mm. kids do this too, that if an adult is acting this way, they did something wrong. And so she has really put a lot of this on her shoulders, hence her desire to be part of the healing, right? To make it better somehow also. um, And so that, that was important to me. Um, but that's not actually something I experienced with my own story that I just told. So that comes from having listened to teenagers and kids mm. a lot. Um, and and I th- but part of what happened in the writing of the story is that towards the end, when we were really nailing down those last drafts with my editors, um, I had just gone through chemo for mm. breast cancer after I'd already written the, like the basic story. So, you know, the story, I'm not going to do any spoilers, but I'd already experienced that when my sons were ages four and seven. Mm. Um, And so because we already had that happy and sad practice with our sons, we were able, they, they had space to talk about how they were feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were days I couldn't hug them. You know, I'd had a mastectomy and I was I couldn't get sick uh during chemo we had to be careful about germs that came home from school and that sort of thing. Um but I wanted we we wanted to talk with them in such a way that that they could bear the emotions that were being expressed by the adults. Um but without like being so overprotective that we couldn't that they couldn't experience what they needed to themselves if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um I don't cry very often. So um, at one point I cried, I was just feeling so crummy and my four-year-old freaked out. <laughs> um, and his instinct was to hug me, which was so sweet. But of course I was, I couldn't because I was all bandaged up. Um, and so we're, I think a lot of this is just as families we're learning, right? And stories and writing can be ways that we get stuff out that we we don't know how to do in our everyday interactions. So um, when my husband read the book and got to parts in the end, um, he sobbed, right? He just sobbed. He had lost his stepmom earlier in the year to cancer. Mm. And then I had gotten my diagnosis and it was just a mess of a year. And then his dad died right after my second infusion. So it was like, and I knew he had been carrying so much, and I knew he was sad. But when he read the book, there was something about the fiction written by me that unlocked a lot for him.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and yeah, I think that not just the reading of it, but the writing of it too, can be a way to process things we didn't even know we needed to.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, and you know, I have I have felt that as a um, a fiction writer, I write fictional nonfiction, you know, so narrative Mm -hmm. nonfiction. Yeah, And I have had a few stories that after I have written them and then gone back and reread them, that they really, really touched me. And so Mm -hmm. it was Mm -hmm. something that I was putting into it that Mm -hmm. I didn't even realize that I needed to process. So I think it's it's kind of a back door to getting yes anyone really right anyone yeah. to yeah. to kind of go through and think about um and share what it is that they're feeling and i i have um a a young home, formerly homeschooled student of mine for writing who went through um, a very traumatic experience. And when, Mm -hmm. and it was a long lasting one. And when it first Mm -hmm. occurred, the first thing I said to him was write it down, journal it, write it. And, um, he, it has just now been resolved. And I asked him if, you know, where he was with that. And he said, I'm, I'm finishing the story. I'm finishing the story. And I, Mm -hmm. and I really believe that that helped keep him going. Um, sure. Yeah. so I, I just highly recommend journaling or if mm-hmm. you don't want to journal, then just writing fictional stories as, as we've been <laughs> sharing, you can put what you're feeling into your stories in a way that helps you yes. and it can help other people. So, you yes. know, you were touching on reading fiction can help teens process grief. Do you have any ideas for us about how we can um, you know, find books. I mean, we have yours that we're going to talk about in just a moment, but how can, if we have a child, um, a teen who is dealing with some issues, do you have any suggestions for us about how we can find books that will help them process those big Mm -hmm. feelings?
1: Mm Hmm. Yeah. Um, that's, that's interesting. I thought you were going to ask me, um, ways to get them writing. Um, so I have a whole answer prepared for that. Oh, you go ahead. Um, Let's start with that and then we'll come back to the books. Obviously there's lots of wonderful literature out there and I, you know, I could, we, that could be a whole other episode actually. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, Because I have so many colleagues that, that are doing wonderful work out there um, yeah, yeah. That that's a, I could do tons of lists. Um and and actually I do um I do have a bookshop page. I'm an okay. affiliate with Bookshop and I've listed some of my favorite books for teenagers okay. and young readers. Um and my sons are okay. also have their own list on my Bookshop page of like Arthur Brothers favorite hits kind of things. Okay. So um so you can go there I- and 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 I pick those because in part my colleagues are doing such incredible work. Um, and those are great lists. Uh, but, but if you don't mind me talking a little bit about, let's let's back up then. How
0: can we get Um, our teens to write
1: lots of of different models for this one? I loved what this one mom did. Um, she and her daughter kept a journal together. Um, the mom was an extrovert. The daughter was an introvert. And when the daughter became a teenager, be like, how was your day? Great. (laughs) You know, and that was, that was it, you know, a whole long car ride home of one sentence Mm -hmm. answers to her questions. Um, so I can't remember if it was when a grandparent died or something happened. Um, mom put a a journal down on the girls like place at dinner and was just like, made a little note that said, Hey, I'm going to keep this in the top drawer at the top of the stairs. And, um, if you want to write in it, once you've written in it, go ahead and put the picture of grandma face up on the table that it's, that it's in that drawer um and then once i've done it i'll put it you know i'll i'll put a different picture and so then so so they would each write in this journal and just keep it in the drawer and they knew when the other person had written in it by this little signal they gave each other um and so while they weren't doing these like conversations the journal became the space for them to talk to each other which i found so fascinating and beautiful um so i love that and then um i also um, and not everybody's a writer, so would not necessarily do this with their kids. But as I'm writing book two, Once a Castle, um, I decided, okay, well, the, the boys are old enough. I'll read Once a Queen to them, which I'd done all along, like during COVID. But I read the final drafts so they could see how their, their ideas and questions had kind of made their way into the story. Um, and so they would see me working. And at one point, um, Sam, my youngest, who's 10, wanted to He's like, I want to, I want to write. I was like, well, here you can do, we've got lots of journals around. He's like, no, I want to type like you do mommy. Um, So we had a really old laptop and pulled that up. And, and we got him into his school account, which is a Google, Google account. So he could do Mm -hmm. Google docs. And I was like, well, you know, one thing I love to do is writing sprints. You want to do a writing sprint with me? And he was like, sure. What is that? And I was like, well, we set a timer and we write without stopping. Like we don't overthink. We just write and write and write. And if you're here with me, I'm much more likely to stick to it. So do you want to do that? And so we've periodically, we'll do writing sprints. We'll set a timer for 10 minutes, sit right next to each other and just start typing um, whatever we're working on. He's 8,000 words into like a chapter book that he's writing.
0: <laughs> Wonderful. That's great. And
1: he's picked up the habit of reading to me the book section that he just wrote, just oh, like I've been doing for once a castle. When I write a chapter, I'll read it to the boys. Okay. Um and it's been delightful. It's just it delightful. But you could do that with um anything. Let's say a parent is like wrapping Christmas presents. Be like, okay, I'm gonna do a Christmas present wrapping sprint. And why don't you work on your story and we'll set a timer and we'll both be creative for like 10 minutes. And inevitably we set another 10 minute timer and another because we're on a roll. Mm-hmm. Right. So you know even if you're not a writer you could pick whatever creative project you're working on and
0: do that while they're writing yeah and i also i also think that you know when our kids lose a loved one that they could also even if they don't actually share it at a memorial service they could write something mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. um you know just kind of encapsulates how they loved this person and what they meant to them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, my son actually did that spontaneously when his grandfather died for mm-hmm. a writing class. It was just this very poignant story about mm-hmm. him. And I could tell that it really helped him to process that grief. Now that was, that was his idea, but I think we could encourage our mm-hmm. kids to do it Um mm-hmm. And we could, we can, as homeschooling moms, we can count it as an English um, <laughs> assignment for sure. For sure. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. And the other thing that I would encourage um, parents to think about is that they may not be writing directly about the grief, mm-hmm. um, sort of like how I just had a great idea for a story and started writing Once a Queen. And that got layered in. Because we're human beings, and whatever we've marinated in, that flavor tends to come out in our in our creative work. Um, so, same with a painting or a dance or anything your kids working on may have nothing to do with like, you might be like, grandma just died, kid. Like, why are we like, like, like you, you might, you're, you might want to try to be prescriptive with it, but the very act of creating and using your imagination can sometimes unlock things that they're not expecting and you're not expecting. And the final product may not have anything to do with grandma, but I, but I really encourage people to, to, um, provide that space. Right. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a room they're invited to you know, enter and walk around it.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: and yes, it's, it's interesting to see how the Holy Spirit works through the imagination in ways we
0: can't Mm -hmm. predict. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I want to talk about once a queen. Now I have started reading it and I'm Mm -hmm. excited to finish it over, uh, this holiday break when we are recording this. Um, And you can, you can tell me that that's not true, but I get a Chronicles of Narnia type vibe, at least at the beginning. Is that...
1: Is, that, yeah, al- is that accurate, do you think? I am, yeah, I'm influenced by all kinds of classic fairy tales. Mm-hmm. Um, you see E. Nesbitt in there, Frances Hodgson Burnett's The Secret Garden. I mean, there's mm-hmm. vibes in that too. Um, a little bit of Madeline L'Engle, Wrinkle in Time, you mm-hmm. know, portal kinds of things. And Chronicles of Narnia. I mean, that's all the landscape of my imagination. So absolutely. I mean, part Very of cool. the question that animates it is, all right, so... Um, So let's say some of these fairy tales, you know, stories that we love to read and she has a, Eva has a a fairy tales uh, collection that she, she read as a kid um, that I've invented. Right. And that's in her mind, it's like, well, what if those were true? And what if those children did have adventures in other worlds and came back? Like what, what happens to those people when they come back and grow up? here you know so Mm -hmm. some of that is animating the story absolutely
0: yeah yeah well um what age readers do you think um Mm. once a queen is four
1: yeah so in the process of finding a publisher it really went all over the place it was it started (laughs) off kind of young adult um, and then I, they wanted middle grade at a different publishing house. And I was like, I can try that, but it's, there's a lot of relationships and family emotions going on, which an eight year old kid might not resonate with so much. Um, so in my mind, it's really young teen. Mm-hmm. So like 12 ish, you know, tween and up, mm-hmm. um, but at the end of the book, she's older Mm-hmm. And, um, you have maybe haven't gotten to that point yet. It actually no. <laughs> it was a Christmas story by the end and it's, oh. you know, she's older and, um,
0: okay.
1: and so that's really fun. I love that it came out, it's coming out in, in January 30th, uh, you know, after we've gone through this whole season, holiday mm-hmm. season. Um, mm-hmm. and so I find that if people loved middle grade and young teen and young adult literature as teens, They're gonna love this book, no matter what age they are. Mm -hmm. Um, I still go back and read the Westing Game, and you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. um, Wrinkle in Time and Secret Garden. I don't think Mm -hmm. of those as children's books. I think Mm -hmm. of those as as the stories that shaped me, that speak to me, no matter what
0: age I am. Right, right. And I'm, I'm definitely not getting that vibe. Like, oh, I'm reading a children's book Mm -hmm. either. Mm -hmm. You know, like I said, I want to, I want to keep reading it. So, yeah. Um, And um, one thing I just want to clarify with you, because I know my mm-hmm. audience is going to be interested in this. I mean, um, you're a Christian, so um, mm-hmm. families don't have to worry about some kind of, like, nasty surprises <laughs> being mm-hmm. included
1: in the book, right? Yeah, well, that's not what it's about. I mean, a lot of, you know, <laughs> it's it's labeled young adult because... Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's not quite at the middle grade end of things, but young adult is, um, and I love, uh, Sarah McKenzie from Real Love Revival, mm-hmm. like, she blew my mind with this because she she calls young adult a genre and not mm-hmm. just, like, an age-based right. Um, category. right. And so with that genre comes, you know, a lot of angst and teens exploring and and um, experimenting with maybe things they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a youth worker, like I find, you know, those the things they experiment with were not invented by teenagers. It's adults doing those things. Right. Um, so um, I, I just am less interested in that stuff. I'm much more interested in the family relationships mm-hmm. and that that fear that when you grow up, you have to give up. Um, the the stories and the the joy and beliefs that you have, the childlike mm-hmm. faith. Um, and I don't think you should. I don't think you right. should give up. But that's what Eva's afraid of. Um, yeah. Uh, that yeah. she'll have to set put all of that aside. Hmm. Um, and so my the you know that's that's uh so it's young adult in the sense of kind of the age range, but not necessarily fitting with that genre.
0: Very good. Okay, so. You told me before we started that there are some pretty amazing pre-publication, pre-order I should say, pre-order bonuses. So can you tell our listeners where they can find Once a Queen and also how they can get those bonuses and then connect with you online?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, my publisher is Waterbrook and um and there's just this super creative team. Um I would throw out an idea and they'd be like, "That sounds amazing." So, um one of you can if you go to SarahArthur.com, and that's Sarah with an H, um you'll find a, in the menu is Once a Queen and when you click on that, you go to the publisher's website for the book. And in the menu options for that, you'll see exclusive bonuses. So if you click on that, that's where all the pre-order perks and it it get, it walks you through what to do. Um, if you've pre-ordered it really from any retailer um, and just then enter that information through the publisher, um, then they'll give you access to the first three chapters for digital download. So right now, I think only chapter one is just available out there, but you would get the first three And then we created a Once a Queen journal that is a digital printable PDF um, that includes some original sketches that I did that was part of my brainstorming for the book. And creativity prompts, um, you know, they won't have read the book yet, but those creativity prompts get them thinking about dreaming up their own worlds and characters. And, um, you know, if you could write a letter to your favorite fictional character of all time, what question would you ask them? um sketch if you ended up in your in a fantasy world what would you be wearing you know draw a picture of that um so i just love that because it's not only great for youth workers and um families but you know homeschooling uh too and ages 12 and up right just right. get creative and have some fun um we had an event a young adult event at a local bookstore where my publisher provided the journal for the teams that showed up for that. And we had gem stickers and ways to bling out the front cover and the kids had a blast.
0: Cool. That's very cool. Yes, yeah. I, I think my audience is going to be interested in that. I definitely have families listening right now and they have aspiring authors. I hear from them all the time and I just oh, love absolutely. that. It makes me so excited. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, Sarah, this was wonderful. I have enjoyed it so much and I can't wait Mm. to get back to reading the book. And then, of course, once I Mm. do and you get it published, I am going to review it for you. I know that is so, so important for authors. Thank you.
1: Oh, bless
0: you. Yes, that
1: (laughs) is lovely. We're so grateful. It's like if you wanted to think of a Christmas gift for me, that (laughs) that would be the one. Thank you.
0: You are very welcome. Find the links to pre-order Once a Queen and connect with Sarah at homeschoolsanity.com slash teen loss. Have a happy homeschool week. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. I hope something you heard was encouraging. If you have a personal question to follow up, don't hesitate to message me. I'm at Homeschool Sanity on social media. Be sure to check my free resource page at homeschoolsanity.com resource and find Sanity Saving Curriculum at funtolearnbooks.com. This has been a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.